You would think it's a mistake, maybe an exaggeration, maybe even a little bit of a manipulation. Uh, God uh, liberally uses a word about us that just doesn't seem uh, to be real if you know yourself and you know others. Maybe it is. Maybe it is he's trying to get us to act our way into something better. But at worst, he's putting his reputation on a group of people that probably will let him down that will probably just not live up to kind of what we should as God's people. And yet he, he insists on it. I want you to see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that's in Corinth, this is a Corinthian church, the Corinthian letter. we got two letters to them in our New Testament. Those sanctified, set apart, made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, there's our word, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And you read along in the letter, and these people are sexually immoral, struggling with their sexual purity. These people are divisive. They're selfish. They're competitive. They're arguing over who has the better spiritual gifts. Who's more important? Who's more spiritual than the other? They're taking each other to court. I mean, these, these people in this church are messed up, and yet God looks at them and says, you're saints. How crazy is that? He does the same with us at Valley View. He calls us saints. I, I can't imagine ever doing this. I'm beginning to be okay with Mitchell, but I would never go, hey, there, I might say there's Brother Mitchell leading singing, but I'd never say, hey, there's Saint Mitchell leading singing. Never, that's not going to happen. I, can't, I just can't see it. St. Shirley, St. Paul. St. Paul, I like that one. St. Paul. I, we call each other. What if we change our signs? We're the saints that meet on the hill. Would you be okay with that? I mean, we got to be because it's a scriptural language, but he calls us saints. And this isn't just an isolated case. Over and over in the New Testament, he calls his people saints. Doesn't that make you cringe just a little? I think it has to do a little bit with how we understand words we think saint, well, first of all, you got to know this. Saint is not a character reference. We use it this way. Saint is somebody who's really, 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 really holy. They're really virtuous, right? It takes the, they're the cream of the crop. We'd only call certain select few this. The Roman Catholics would say, we will vote people in as a, as a, as a saint if they had a really virtuous life and a holy death, and then after death, they performed a miracle. I know that's weird, but that's, that's how the Catholics decide, and then they vote about who's going to be a saint. That's a pretty tough hurdle for most of us to hit, right? I mean, but even we, you know, you've got to be really, 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 really top 10%. To be saint. And yet God uses that word liberally of everyone. Well, it's not a character reference. Instead, it's an identity that you are invited into. You do not behave your way into this word, saint. You don't live well and then you earn it and pay it off, and then suddenly God says, Okay, I'll call you one of my people, my saints. You've earned the title. It is simply by virtue of your relationship with God that He beckons you to accept this role in your life. And that identity then has a corresponding job description, but that comes after. Holiness is what God calls you to. So I would say it this way When you obey God, and you choose to let him, or live for him, let him have his way with you, let him own you, you become a saint. 
It's now your identity. He makes an offer and he says, I want you to be mine. I'm going to call you one of my holy ones. That's what saint means, holy one or set apart ones, right? I'm going to let you do this. The same words in the Greek, set apart, holy, sanctified, saint, it's all the same word. And God says, I want you to be mine. I want to make you into my image. I want to give you my DNA. I want to put my Holy Spirit in you. Just agree to be, let Jesus be Lord of your life and I will make you a saint. And suddenly you start living it. So here's what happens. You are like the rest of the world. Hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm my own person. I have my own rights. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. That's where most people in the world live. But when you decide to choose God, you go to this pile over here. You're the set-apart ones. You're the ones that say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'm God's. I'm set aside for his service. He calls the shots in my life. That is a saint. That is a called uh, set-aside person or, or, or called, uh, called set-aside holy person. That's where you are. And it's a it's a role God wants you to live out, and he's going to help you honor it. And then after that, it initiates behavior change. It, you are not earning your sainthood and then becoming a Christian. That's the wrong thing, and too many people think this in the world, and that's wrong. Even in the church, we think this. It's wrong. He makes you a saint, and then he transforms you ever so slowly by his Holy Spirit that he plants in you into the image of himself. He calls you to be holy as he is holy, but he takes his own precious time, and he dwells within you to make that happen. Don't require that before you accept sainthood. You'll never get there by yourself. He says, I want you to be mine, and you agree. And then after, after he puts himself in you, and slowly but surely from the inside, he starts making you actually holy. It's not something you earn. It's not something you pay off. It's something that he causes to happen in you ever so slowly. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, those tra it transforms you from degrees of holiness into others. So quit trying to earn your holiness. Let him develop that. But there's another caveat to this. And it's this. He never uses the words in the singular. Saint is never a singular word in the New Testament. It's only applied to all of us. It's y'all, never you, singular. Don't look at, <coughs> excuse me, for, don't look at your uh, Bibles where it says uh, the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. That's not in the Greek. That's something we've added to it. No one is called a saint individually in the New Testament. Saints are only collectively referred to that. Now, what, you might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? I, I want to show you this verse. 2 Timothy 2.22 is read in the Scripture. And, and it was one verse. Jeremy only had to read one verse. That's all, and he did a beautiful job. But I want you to look at it carefully. Paul writing to Timothy says, So flee the youthful passions that you have, Timothy. He admits Timothy's got them. Every one of us has them. Flee those things. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace but look at the last phrase along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart this is not something you can do alone this is a group thing 
You know how you do it? You're not going to stand out against the world by yourself and just be able to, 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 to neglect all those passions within you that the world exaggerates and highlights and offers you all sorts of things to appease. You're not going to be able to do that by yourself, but you can if you'll flee these things and pursue these things along with everyone else who's trying to do this. It's a group thing. We, we pursue sainthood together. Now, what are some implications of this? I just decided to make a screen that says the same thing three times. Some people say, like Matt Nix will tell me, well, you said the same thing three times. Yeah, okay, all right, I will, because you need to hear it a bunch of times. Matt, in particular, needs to hear it about eight. So here we go. If you are seeking by yourself to be like God, it's futile. I can just do this alone. No, you can't. By definition, you can't. It's impossible. Second, I'd say it this way. If you're trying to take the image of Christ, take it on yourself, without the community of faith, you are starting out with a deficiency that sabotages the entire thing. You can't do it by yourself. Said the same thing. Let's say it a third time. There's a depth of maturity in Christ that cannot be reached without us. Let me just say it that way. You're not going to reach it without us. Now, <clears throat> I think all three of these things is true just by virtue of the fact that saint is never individual. It's always collective. It's always all of us. It's a group thing that we're trying to do. And it makes me ask this question. Why does God consider this, what we're doing this morning, as we gather as a church in all black, sitting in weird places, on top of a hill on a Sunday morning, why does he consider this so critical to what he's doing in you. Why is this sitting in a pew, singing songs, having prayers spoken, having somebody talk to you for 35 minutes? Why are we doing this? Why does God consider this, what we're doing here, y'all, so important to your individual development in Christ? He says, you need this. Why is that? What's happening here that you can't get any other way? And that's what I decided we need to answer this morning. There's a few things about this that seem obvious. First of all, because we as a church, we value and hold up the word as the key to holiness. We don't get together and take a poll. Hey, what's holy, y'all? Well, um, you know, we should watch our speech. We, we just sit and discuss and take a poll about what's holy. We don't do that here. There's not one person, preacher or elder, who that we all agree that we're going to just surround this person and let them define it for us. There's nobody here like that. This is what we are all sitting under this morning. We are all coming together because we're in agreement. We need to submit to what's in here. Not the book itself, but the words God revealed to us about himself and us. And we're willing to say, we come from a world that is saying to us all sorts of things. Political correctness should be in effect. You should be personally independent and have autonomy and, and fulfill your personal desires and all your rights and all those things. That's, that's the climate, that's the culture of our world tolerance 
And what we come into this building agreeing to is this. None of that's true. Yes, we're being preached that all the time in the world, and we even sometimes find ourselves quoting that ourselves and feeling that way ourselves. And then we come into a building on Sunday morning on top of this hill where we say none of that's true. The climate of our lives will be submission to the Word of God that reveals the will of God that gives us conformity to the image of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Don't fall prey to the lies of the world that we are all drawn to absorb. Don't do that. Instead, we come together to say this. We are all submissive to the Word. What's preached can't be whatever Spencer thinks. It better be from the Word or we kick him out of the pulpit. When you go to Bible class, let it not be a bestseller from the New York Times list that guides you. May it be this word, because this is what we all agree to, and this is what we are willing to submit to, and anything else than this, I'm suspect of. This is how we become holy. I want to show it to you in Ephesians 5. This is a weird passage. For those of you who are married, you've heard this all the time. But you, you find yourself going, is he talking about marriage, or is he talking about Jesus and the church? And the answer is, yes. But listen to what he says, men, you know, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved the church. And here's what he did. He gave himself up for her, the church. Jesus gave himself up for the church. That, he did this so that he might sanctify her, make her holy. That's our word. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? I want you to say it. By the washing of water with the word. He's, he's bringing his word to bear on the people to wash them off. They've been living in a world and they're, they're prone to fall prey to the world and let the world blemish them and stain them. And you walk in the door and we submit to his word and we find the rough edges and we let that word scrape that blemish off and we walk out of here trying to be holy again. So that cleansing us by the washing of water through the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy do you know how we can stay holy as the saints of god when we submit ourselves to the will of god and let our lives change to conform to what we see in that word and that's what we're gathered here this morning for there is no other place on earth where you will walk into a building and know the expectation here is that we all submit to what we find in the Word. There's no other place on earth that has that expectation. And it's what we need. It's what we want. We all know we have to have it. And the only place you'll find it in is a group of people called the church. It's the pillar and foundation of the Word. You come here because while we disagree on our politics... We disagree on our sports. We disagree on a lot of things. There's one thing everyone in here comes here agreeing to. I will submit to the Word of God. <clears throat> and you need that climate because nowhere else will you find it. Secondly, the church is a place where we help each other pursue this. We love each other. We, serve, we fellowship each other, all sorts of ways. But our greatest desire... Our greatest desire is to keep each other holy, and we're praying for this. There's this communal prayer that we're taught, and I want anyone who wants to to recite it with me. You probably learned this as a kid, some of you. I want you to recite the Lord's Prayer with me. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, I want you to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is a, that's we classic, isn't it? And the pronouns are plural. It's not just about me, it's about us. Because what we're trying to do, God, we want your kingdom to come on earth. Now, his kingdom will come one of these days. It will come, but it's already here in us. And we're praying for each other. God, we want you to bring your will and make it known into the world through us, all of us. And it's too big a job for one person. I'm not just praying this for me. I want to make sure I make God's name holy today. Are you, are you concerned about that? Do you want God's holiness to be seen in you? But it's too big a job for just me. I need George to do it. I need Ina Brown to do it. And her holiness matters to me, even though I may not see her except on Sundays. Her holiness matters to me, and I'm going to pray for that. That's what he taught us to do, is to pray for each other's holiness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your prayers matter to me. And I remember one time I was praying with Daryl Hyde, and you're going to be surprised about this, but the things he prayed for me to resist the temptations that are mine, to really be the kind of person that I present myself to be, he was saying that in my presence, but what I know is he prays that from his house. My holiness is not just about me. Daryl Hyde wants me to be the holy person I'm supposed to be to help him be the holy person he's supposed to be and you to be the holy person you need to be. And we need to pray for each other. Is that what we're praying? I, I got to tell you, this week, Tuesday, my dad was having bypass and He's 78, 79 years old, and so it's, I mean, it's, I don't know how, how that's going to go. Can't be there. COVID still was uncertain, didn't want me there. I said, I get that, but it's pretty tough. At the same time, Blake Lamberson is there with his wife, who's going under surgery, and it's, they've got the cancer word included in their story. It's terrifying. In the middle of mine, I get a text from Blake, and he says, I want you to know that even as I'm with my wife, I'm praying for you and your dad. And he said, I've had, so far, 85 texts today from Valley View people praying for my wife. That's how I made it through this. And I answered him back, and I said, I've prayed for you too. And I've, I counted up mine. Mine had like 40 people praying for my dad. Who, you know, you've never, most of you haven't even met him. The power in that, y'all, because I'm sitting here going, I texted him back, and I said, do you realize every text you got back, mine started with Alan Bigham early, early in the morning, but many other people were praying, and each person that did, I heard their voice. I pictured God listening to these prayers in your voice. It wasn't just that you were praying for the same person. He heard 80, ver 80 different voices coming to him, and that's just the people who told me, and there are others who weren't, and, and he had the same experience, Blake did too. I said, do you realize God heard all these voices, these different people, and he knew exactly who was praying it, and that was praying it for us. Do you get the power of this? And he said, I absolutely felt the power of this, and if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the other thing I want us to do. I, I appreciate prayers during surgery days, but there are days where holiness is a, a tougher call than that. 
We got young people that starting tomorrow, it's the month when they go into school, and they're going to be going into that. And you know how hard it is to live a holy life in this world that we're living in. You know what it's like to do that. We need to be praying for each other and texting each other saying, you're going to school today, and I know they don't care about your speech. I know they don't care what you say about people, but I care. I care, and I want you to be holy when you go there. And you young people, how you got a whole group to switch from over here to over there is unbelievable. That's when I first knew something was really up about where you're sitting. We need you to be holy at school. And we know that's the biggest mission field on the face of the planet. We are praying for you because your holiness matters to us. College people, same way. Church is a place where you help each other pursue holiness through prayer, through Bible class, through everything you can because it's important. Church is a pl- provides models of holiness. This is one that's really beautiful. I love this. In Ephesians chapter 1, when he's saying, I hope that your eyes are open, you can see three things. First one is the eyes of your heart. I, I pray that the eyes of your heart are open so you can see the hope to which he's called you. But here's the second one. That you can see... No, no, back up, back up. The underlying part. That he that you can see what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to be able to see with your heart's eyes. I know it sounds weird, but I want you to be able to see spiritual realities so real that it's like you're seeing them. And I want you to see it, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to know how blessed you are with the people that you are living among in your faithful life. As you come up on top of the hill, there are some really cool, holy people here. There are some amazing stories of people living holy lives in a world that ain't that way. And you're rubbing shoulders with them, and you're walking through the foyer with them, and I want you to know them, and I want it to be contagious. And as much as you might get COVID, I hope you get holiness. I hope it's so contagious it rubs off on you, and it makes you more like God just by simply intervening with these people. I believe that happens in our community. That's part of the reason he puts the set-apart people in collections of the set-apart people. And it's important so there's a teenager in our midst. We've got beautiful young ladies who are teenagers, and the pressure of the world on them is enormous. And they go to a school where no one cares about sexual purity, but we do. And when they live a life of sexual purity, and they come to church, and they know that the world's not honoring that, and that's not heroic, and that's not admirable in the world, it is here! It is here. We hold that up, and I want you to know we value that, and we respect that, and we consider that heroic. And this church values that purity. We don't put down those who struggled. There's grace for that. But when no one else gives any kind of concern at all to your speech purity, and you can just let words roll off your tongue, but you choose not to, that's heroic to the church. This is the place where you will be honored for that, and I hope that means something to you. And there's a family that gathers in the early service. They'll come, their kids are all in a baseball uniform, because what they're saying to their kid is, baseball is important, but it's not as important as making sure we start this week off right in the Lord's house in the world 
worship and they come and they bring their family and they're saying something to their families and when they come here, they are honored. That's a heroic gesture in a sports idolatry world, isn't it? Isn't it, church? Isn't that something to honor? And then you've got mamas who are staying at home raising their kids. And we live in a world that looks at that as like some kind of compromise, like some kind of character flaw, like some kind of you don't have any real conviction or drive, and that's a lie. You've chosen to be holy, and you've chosen to raise your kids and focus on them. And when you come to church, you'll get some applause because in this place, that value is high. And some who choose to foster kids, we've got foster parents in this assembly who are my heroes. When you come here, I know the sacrifice you make. I can't imagine. But that is a holy call. You, listen, we have a collection of some really holy people. And there's different levels of holiness right now because there's always going to be. But the point is, you come together in this group of people, and there are people striving to live holy lives, and there's people struggling to even figure out what that is, and we're all together in one pile, and we're encouraging each other, and that's what the church does. We model that holiness. So please, stick around, fellowship, and get infected, would you? Finally, the church has this mission of restoring its people. Restoring our people, what does that mean? Every one of us has course corrections to make. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how faithful you are, how holy you are, you've had some flaws this week. I have a feeling every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God this week. Have I got that right? Am I pretty sure about this? And here's the irony of the world to me. I have an aunt. I was, she doesn't go to church because she thinks we're all hypocrites. That just bothers me. I said, well, you... Better stay out because you'd be another one. But that's it's just it, it's, uh. Here's the funny thing about that. Hypocrites try to hide their flaws. We come to church because we're admitting them. Isn't that right? Aren't you coming to church because you, you of all people, we are, well, I'm not trying to fool you. You know the truth. So do I. I know every one of you. I think highly of lots of you. Kay, I think highly of you. But I know you're flawed. I know you fell short this week. I know you have sin in your life. And when you come to church, I, you don't try to hide it. Because I, well, I mean, we wear our ties and stuff like that and our suits and stuff like that. But, you know, we all know this, right? Is anybody under any illusion that anybody in here is sinless? I don't think so. And so here's the thing. The irony of the world is we don't come together to think we're perfect. We come together because we know we ain't. I know more than the world knows about me, and it's ugly. Trust me, it's ugly. I'm not going to tell you, but I, I know it's ugly. But it's a little bit less ugly than it used to be. And I come here to be reminded, and the world will say, well, just don't go to church. It don't matter anyway. Your sins don't matter anyway. It does matter. Here's the other weird truth that almost sounds like the opposite of what I just said. Your sin is a big deal. We're not coming together to say, oh, ain't no big deal, just go through the world. No, 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 we're saying to each other, it is a big deal. We're coming to church because we're saying we struggle with sin and because sin's a big deal. And we're not just going to say, well, ain't no matter, just go ahead and try a little harder next week. You know, that's not what we're doing. We're looking at each other and we're taking it very seriously and the church is calling you to a higher place. 
This church today wants to keep two things in tension, and there's no way to not be in tension. We want the holy standard of God to not be compromised, and we're going to preach it to the day the Lord comes. But we want an atmosphere of grace that knows we're all going to fall short of this, and we're in various levels of trying to reach it. We're going to be patient with each other and gracious and forgiving as we do. Both of those have to be held at the same time. And I hope we do that. Because it is a big deal that we sin. We don't want to sin. We want to eliminate sin as much as we can. That's how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But this happens in so many ways. Sometimes just interacting with each other, we inspire each other and encourage each other. And I know what you're going through, and I see you going through it as beautifully as you are, and it convicts me, and it gives me inner strength, and not a word is spoken, and not a confrontation is made. Sometimes it happens publicly. You hear a word in a song. You hear a word in a prayer. You hear a word in a sermon, and it causes you to go, oh, i got to look at that again, and I've got to try a little harder. And sometimes, in the sanctity of your own mind, you have an invitation that you respond to. Just by being present here, you make a course correction in your heart. And just like that, the atmosphere of grace, but the atmosphere of holiness causes you to be restored. But no one comes in here indifferent about their sin and their weakness and leaves without some kind of compulsion to re-engage once again in that pursuit of holiness. We call each other to be better than we are right now. So as baffled as I am about God calling the Corinthians saints, I'm, I find it equally odd that we are considered saints. Is God expecting too much? Is he overly optimistic? What is God doing when he keeps throwing that word around as if we're supposed to grab onto it and accept it for ourselves? When you start thinking like it's impossible, remember this. God is describing who we are in him as the story wraps up we are all in process god began the work he put his spirit in us to continue working in progressive ways and then he's going to allow jesus to finish the job that's what he says in philippians 1 6 you're not there yet but you're closer than you've ever been and if you want to get a little further you need us and if we are going to get a little closer, we need you. And that's why I'm glad you're here as one of the saints on the hilltop this Sunday morning. And here's what I know. This week you'll fall short again. So let's make a pact. Let's just get together next Sunday and do this again. Agreed? And let's help each other be saints. This morning, if you are a saint of God, then you've got your marching orders. If you're not, because you've never chosen to bow your knee to Jesus, it's a great day to bow your knee to Jesus. Confess him as Lord. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Rise to walk a new life. And if there's someone here for whatever reason, you've got, you, can have your own, you can have your own restoration in your mind, right there in your soul with God, with, with nobody else. But if there's somebody here for some reason you need to look into the face of people to make a course change you can come forward and we will look into your face and we will love you and we remind you who you are and what God's done for you that's going to help you let's pursue holiness as we stand as we sing to encourage you